didn't understand it while it was happening at the time and so of course we, I fell completely and wholeheartedly into victim mentality and I ran with that for a really 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 long time until it didn't serve me anymore and I started to realize that I just you know there's I can't keep I can't heal this and be in victim as well um, and at the same time as having the healing and different things that was coming through that were coming through from my star clan and my team um, I realized that the greatest opportunity for us to learn exactly who we are, how powerful we are, is to come into dense vibration. It's to come into that vibration of struggle. It's to come into that experience of being disempowered so that we actually fight our way back to the empowerment so that we can find our gold, so that we can find our power. The hardest school, the most difficult learning and schooling we'll ever have is on Earth. There is no other place in the whole of the galaxy, in the whole of the cosmos that is like Earth, that presents us with the opportunity for experience and learning the way that Earth does. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. As always, wonderful to be with you all again. And please remember, saying again, if you like the show, share it with your friends, press the like button, subscribe. I'm sure you all have. Just a reminder to, to tell you again, as if you haven't heard it a million times before. Today, we have a beautiful goddess on the show with us, Rachel Burns. Welcome to the show, darling. Hello. Hi, how are you? So nice to be here. Always beautiful to be in your divine presence, honey one. <laughs> You're lovely. Rachel and I met a couple of years ago. We were both speaking at a, what do you call it, like a festival thing yeah. in the bush and uh, became instant best friends. Actually, no, we met before that because I remember I sat down at the table in the kitchen. We had an instant connection, didn't we? That's right, yes. You were talking about the children and I'm like, oh, I love people that work with the children. But let me read your bio and let people know a little bit about you. As a young child, Rachel channeled the language of light, spontaneously dropping into a trance-like state. She could see energy and vibrations and was aware of star beings, energies from different realms and the light and dark. For much of her young life, she felt she didn't fit in to the normal life and struggled to be part of this physical world. Her first conscious awakening was when she was 26, after the very sudden death of her mother when her energy centers opened to receive information. After encountering a great deal of childhood trauma, Rachel blocked out many of her memories until she was around 34, when she encountered a deep, spontaneous remembering. Pandora's box had been opened and she began the reclaiming of her true self and the reconnection to her wisdom and ultimate inner truth. Remembering we are all pure God consciousness in a physical form, and that our experiences are chosen. 
and that the people who have volunteered to play the villains in our lives are actually our greatest teachers. Her childhood was filled with trauma, which led to her carrying many limiting beliefs, dense energies and toxic emotions and resulted in health, many health issues. Rachel is now working with God, pure God consciousness and the power of the energy of acceptance and forgiveness to return to a state of balance and harmony. She spent over 30 years working with children in many different capacities, including working with additional needs children, teaching meditation, mindfulness, movement, and facilitating children's groups. She also facilitates meditation and development groups for adults, including workshops on parenting the golden age child and opening to light language. Today, Rachel is the principal of Dharma, D. Double AMA, Divine Awakening Academy of the Mystic Arts, and is the creator of Mini Meditation Australia. As a psychic medium, trance channeler, intuitive artist, starseed, Rachel is also a dragon master and the keeper of the codes, sharing light codes and dragon light language transmission. Rachel now knows her differences are her superpower and encourages children who feel different to know this too and your website is dharma.com.au right uh, the website's not uh, functional at the moment but uh will be well, yes it is dharma.com.au it'll be functional at some stage it will be yes <laughs> and you've got like lots of upgrades you've, you've got a group on uh, facebook divine awakening academy of the mystic arts yes that's for dharma that's um there's a couple yeah, there's a couple and a, of groups. And a dragon, dragon return group. Dragons return. That's for all the dragon lovers like that's I am. The dragon lovers. And mini meditation, of course, is for the, the work that I do with the children. All righty, darling. Well, let's hear a little about your story and what happened. <laughs> if I go right back to the very beginning, I was born to a family um, with quite dense uh, energy present all the time. Um, my, both my mum and dad, as loving as my mum was, <laughs> bless her, were, they were both alcoholics. Um, and, of course, I didn't understand a lot of this when I was younger and I didn't even really realise that they were alcoholics until much later. Um, probably around the age of three or four uh, is my earliest memories of seeing energy, uh, physically seeing beautiful big gold like beach ball size um, orbs of energy moving and flowing and turning and light codes with now I now realize the light codes within these these big balls of energy and um, I would lay in bed at night and I would see them moving about and I would see the interaction that they would have with each other and the energy within these big balls of energy the the interaction that these these energies had with each other also Probably around the age of four is my earliest uh, memory of speaking light language and dropping into trance. And it would happen just very spontaneously. And I really had no idea how I was doing it, but it felt like the most beautiful place to be. <laughs> it really felt like I was home when I was doing this. Um, around that time, though, I can remember one particular uh, experience was I was in the lounge room in the living room and I was watching TV and I remember I dropped into trance spontaneously again without any idea how I was doing it and my dad came in and he saw me and he was very very scared and he said to me Rachel what are you doing and I said to him 
And I remember looking at him so innocently and as though if I just spoke to him and told him the truth about what I was doing, he would just understand. He would just get it and everything would be okay. Because for me, it was a really loving, comfortable, supportive place to be. Um, but that wasn't his experience and he was very, very scared. He was, he was, I could feel his panic and I could feel his absolute terror. Um, and his response was to pick me up. And, and what I said to him was, it's okay, Daddy, I'm in trance. And I can remember his face changed. And he had heard me speaking light language, which, of course, to him was just all mumbo-jumbo. And he picked me up on my hand and smacked me and smacked me and smacked me and smacked me until I really couldn't move anymore. Uh, and then he dropped me on the ground and he walked away and he called my mum in. But what that experience taught me was that this was not something to be shared with anyone, that it wasn't something that I wanted to be known to be doing because he's, I could feel, I can remember his energy around this and this was that I was crazy, that I was crazy and that there was something really, really wrong with me and that it was something to fear. I ended up taking on his fear. And so after that, I shut down to light language. I didn't speak light language anymore. Um, but I continued to see spirit. I continued to see energy moving. Um, I would be very, very aware of the light and the dark at the end of my bed when I was little, and that went on for years and years and years, probably until I was about 12. Um, on the left side was the light and on the right side was the dark, and that happened every night. And I came to know this energy or these energies as the watchers. Um, and it feels as though they were watching me to see which way I was going to go. Was I going to work for the light or was I going to work for the dark? Uh, I chose the light. Thank goodness, because I like working for the light. Um, but it was, it was a really unsure time for me. And it, was, it could be quite scary sometimes because that's what I had learned, is that anything to do with seeing energy or being part of this this realm where things beyond our physical uh, that we could see actually existed and was very real was something to be scared of. Um, and so that's how it all started off early on. Probably by the time I was 12, everything had closed down, but uh, I'd had some sort of, at the time, they felt a little bit strange, but there was also a knowing that um, I was being contacted or spending time with and having experiences with energies that were not of this world, so ETs really. Um, I can remember going for a walk one day when I was little and taking my bike with me. Uh, I was probably about six and I can remember riding my bike to a, a particular place just near my house. It was probably only about 50 metres from my house and I know my mum had told me not to go far and uh, I'd stopped and a car had pulled up next to me and there were three young men in it and they beckoned me over and they told me to get in the car and I did. I got in the car with them, left my bike where it was and I remember looking and there was a dog right near my bike and then I got in the car. And so this experience was really quite a little bit strange and, and it was filled with, again, the light and the dark, uh, always the opposites. And I remember it was a two-door car and I sat in the back seat of the car and I was instantly aware that the two men in the front represented the dark and that the one man in the back that was sitting with me represented the light. And I remember looking at him and we were having conversations, uh, not 
using our speech, but using our thoughts. There was uh, telepathy. We were, we were using telepathy to have conversations. And I remember looking at him and thinking to him, I'm really scared. And he said to me, you're okay. I'm going to look after you. You're going to be okay. Don't worry about anything. And then after that, I instantly knew that I was just going to be okay. The two men in the front, they were probably no more than between probably about 17, 18 and 21. They were not old by any means in physical earth years. Um, but the two men in the front, I think, had a different idea for me and uh, it felt quite sinister. And so there was a lot of conversation, physical conversation, that I could hear around what they were going to do with me. And, the, of course, the man in the back that represented the light was constantly saying, we're going to take her back, she's fine, we're going to take her back. And um, the men in the front were saying, no, no, she knows too much, she knows too much stuff, we have to, you know, we have to get rid of her, we have to do whatever we need to do with her. Um, and there was a conversation there about it taking too long. People were going to notice that I was missing. So the, the man in the back finally convinced them to take me back and drop me off, which they did. Um, and it's just coming through now that he was one of my guides, actually. <laughs> uh, and uh, as I got out of the car, I noticed that the dog was in exactly the same position. Nothing had changed. There was It was almost like time had not moved. Um, and later on, when I spoke to my team about what had happened, they told me that there was almost like a wrinkle in time that had been created, that the physical time that we're so used to being part of had actually stood still and that there was a pocket of time that had been created in which we had entered for what, however long it was, and I have no idea how long it was, um, and that when I was dropped back, I was dropped back to the exact time that I had gotten in the car, which was really interesting. So this is not my first experience, I suppose, of, of playing with time. Um, I like to think that we played with it <laughs> as, you know, as a fun exercise, because it really is really when you think about it. Uh, but there were other times throughout my life where uh, I was able to play with time. I've said, I've said bent time before, but it doesn't quite feel right. And I think maybe you and I had that conversation around it not being bent. Um, and I don't quite know the quite, quite the right language around that, but um, it was sort of playing with time. Uh, yeah, and so then that was that was what happened there. I think everything closed down around the age of 12. Um, and, of course, I got on with being a teenager. <laughs> Some of the worst years of your life, aren't they? <laughs> worst and best. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> worst and best. But, yeah, time, uh, yes, yes, time, time is an, is an illusion, like everything else is an illusion. Mm. But we buy into it being our standard, you know, our experience because we believe it as our truth. But I, I remember when I was a naturopathic student living about, uh, how far away, about 40 minutes away from my college and always leaving the house late and then not looking at the clock and singing all the way there and I would get get there in record time in peak hour traffic and had and had sat in traffic jams like I just bent time as you say or just just lived outside of time because I remember one teacher had said if you come in late again I'm going to lock you out or something like that you know and I thought right I'm never going to be late again even if I left knowing that it was impossible to get there on time I'd get there on time <laughs> when I see when I stopped looking at the clock 
Right, and ha and the uh, the emotion, the frequency that you're holding, absolutely plays a role. Um, I went away with a couple of women. We were going to um, like a retreat sort of thing in the middle of Australia, in the Northern Territory, and our car that we were in had broken down, and we were due to be two days late. And I remember I was reading a book at that time, and they were talking about bending time. Uh, and I said, "Hey, let's give this a go." And so we picked up some time along the way. And we consciously um, were able to work time so that we got there on time. So about three hours, oh no, probably about six hours out from our designated area, um, it said that we were three hours away and we got there in three hours. It's so cool. So how old, it says that you were 26 when you had your first conscious spiritual awakening after mm -hmm. you shut down all your um, you sort of thought, you know, well, I don't know if you shut them down, but you just didn't speak about it, like didn't think about it. Didn't, obviously, you must have as a, as the four, you were four when your dad told you not to do it. Yeah. You must have made a decision, okay, this isn't cool. So it, it was like 26 when you started thinking differently. What happened? Your mum died. Yeah, I was at work one day and I got a, a phone call that mum was really sick. She dropped dead at work. What had happened is the lead up towards that, though, uh, was really interesting because I hadn't had, I was sort of, I was busy being in an, a very violent relationship and ra raising two children. And with all of that, <laughs> I didn't really concentrate on anything or really have any great uh, memory of any of all of all of these happenings and experiences that I'd had. And about so she passed in August in probably June or July I started to have these experiences where I was hearing uh, what I would liken to a radio being tuned in and I sometimes and you could hear the shh noise and you know you know those old radios where you would turn the button and as you turn the button to tune in the radio you would come upon um, the station that you wanted to hear and then you would move out of the station that you wanted to hear either side of that there was like a shh noise and then you and then you'd hear the voices and then the voices would come in and then they'd go back out. And this is exactly what was happening. And I was having this experience of hearing this and thinking, oh, something's going on here. What's going on? Am I a little bit crazy because I'm hearing voices? Um, but there was a definite sense of urgency with this. Somebody was really trying to tell me that something big and life-changing was coming up for me. And then probably two or three months later. And this continued. It continued in the middle of the night. It continued while I was working. It continued while I was in the shower. Didn't matter where I was and what I was doing. I was talking to people and they were still trying to tune in. Um, and, yeah, it continued until she passed about um, three months after that. And what happened was everything blew wide open. Everything blew wide open. And so in my uh, quest to contact her, because I knew I could, I knew it was possible. I, I hadn't had any training in it. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I was going to contact her. Uh, I started meditating and I started meditating regularly. And this really started to open everything up. So I started to be able to hear people's conversations. I started to be able to um, feel their emotions. I did end up contacting her. We would go traveling a lot together. Uh, and spend time together. And she actually in the physical would contact me. So we had our set dates and times or days and times that we would ring each other every week. And after she passed, I would still receive physically those phone calls at that day and time. And that continued for about six months. And I'd pick up the phone and nobody would be there. And I'd go, hi, Ma. <laughs> 
and she, I knew it was her and I wouldn't hear anything back. And then I'd hang up the phone and then the next time at that day and time that we were meant to meet or speak to each other because we we're in different states at that time, the phone would ring and that happened for a long time. Hang on, you said you're in different states. Wasn't she mm. in spirit when the phone yeah. would ring? No, yes, absolutely right. But before she passed, she was in Sydney and I was in Melbourne. And oh, so okay. we, we had dates and, you know, we'd have a date, we'd have a phone date where she would call me and I would call her. And that was our, our, you know, three or four times a week. We had specific days and times that we would ring each other. And even after she passed um, on those days and times, the phone, she would, would ring. the phone would ring. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. That's, yeah. that's very cool. So, okay. What happened next? What happened next? I think I went through a whole lot of, um, I started to do like uh, come upon healing for myself and I really needed this because after leaving my uh, the boy's dad, I realised that I had really, really bad PTSD um, and I was behaving in ways that I couldn't quite understand and that I was aware that other people weren't behaving in these same ways. And so I started to ask questions. I started to ask questions, why am I so different? How can I be happy was a big one. I just needed to be happy and stop the torture because I constantly felt like I was in torture but not knowing why. Um, and then around the age of, I think I was around 31, I started to have flashbacks um, of being sexually abused as a child. So um, at eight years old, being sexually abused by the next-door neighbour's boyfriend um, and having very real 3D in-person memories of that. And then the second one that came around the same time was being raped at 10 by the next door neighbor's brother. This experience was very different. I can remember being there with him in the physical, in the real time, and looking at him and his face, his flesh, sort of just melting away from his face. And what was left was his bone structure. His skeletal form was showing itself and it looked like a lizard. It was a lizard head or a, I suppose in, in, that was the only way that I could describe it back then. I was 10. Um, and at that moment, I jumped out of my body. And I remember uh, viewing it from the top of the, like a, a corner in the room up near the, the uh, ceiling. And so I was sort of floating above it all, watching it all. And while uh, I, I witnessed it. I didn't have the direct experience of it, of the trauma. Um, and since then I've spoken to my team and asked them why that was. And it was because it was a whole different learning um, experience. And so this was really about um, learning about reptilian energy because that, he, was, he was reptilian. And so thankfully I don't have the like sort of in-person trauma associated with that. I know it happened. Do you think that when you say he was reptilian, mm. do, you, do you think that you were perceiving that reptilian energy that all of us as humans can display or take on? Or, you know, like what we, when you say your team, you're obviously talking about your spirit guides or your guides. Yeah, my star clan. Um, do they want to answer this? Like were you perceiving that reptilian energy that all of us can display or were you perceiving some sort of reptilian being disguised as a human? Yes, second one. That's coming okay. through really strongly. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. 
Because yeah. all of us have the reptilian brain. Yes. And it gives us the opportunity to experience denser energies and beliefs and thought forms and violence and, you know, things that humans do, right? Uh, so, okay, interesting. So you experienced it from outside your body and your, your team, your guide said, why did you experience it not in the body? Just something to witness, something. Because it wasn't about the trauma. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about um, witness. It wasn't about experiencing the trauma. Mm-hmm. It was about uh, learning about um, reptilian. It was, well, what I thought was the beginning of my education now, the beginning of my education around um, reptilian overtake. And so it's sort of, it, it, it's one piece of the puzzle into working out um you know, all the things to do with reptilian energy, about how it comes through in us, you know, about how there is actual reptilian overtake that happens with people, at what age it happens, how it happens, um, how we're affected by it, how it is that we can uh, move ourselves away from it and not be um, having these experiences with, with reptilians, what it is that they want, what their plan is. There's a whole lot of information that was later revealed to me around this. Wow, I'd like to get more in depth with that, Mm. Uh, but maybe not now because I still want to hear the rest of your story. But what I'm getting, just listening to you, what I'm getting is uh, uh, the reptilian energy is about dominance and control. Absolutely. Which is, you know, what governments are trying to do at the moment, right? But we won't go there. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We could spend shows and shows on that. But, yeah, that's what just came through. It's about dominance and control, the experience of dominance and control which is what your next door neighbor was trying to do to you by raping you. Yeah. Yeah. Dominance and control. Wow. Which we can display as humans in many different forms. Okay. What happened next? Okay. So that was that. So that was around 31. By the time I was 34, I was having um, some more flashbacks. Um, And this time it was around being sexually abused by my dad. And so this one was a really big one for me. There was a a lot of shock that happened. And I ended up having um, somewhat of a nervous breakdown after that. What happened, though, was that it was really a gift because it, I came to understand so much of what uh, was happening with our dynamics, so much of myself, really, uh, around why I was behaving the way I was behaving um, and the effect that this sort of disempowerment has on people. Um, and, again, this is linked back to reptilian, reptilian energy. Sorry, I thought you were going to keep talking. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so uh, hence why you were repeating those patterns with the ex-husband, right? Right, yes. This is also, again, linked back to reptilian activity. Yes, absolutely. There's Everything plays a vital role in putting the pieces of the puzzle back together. And when you're putting the piece of the puzzle back together, of course, you're learning about you. You're learning about your connection to yourself, your connection to spirit, your connection to source. And this is the great mystery is learning to come back to ourselves. That's what spirituality is really about. It's about connecting with the spirit, our spirit, our own personal spirit, the spirit of source, the spirit of oneness. And when we start to understand more about ourselves, when those pieces of the puzzle come together, it's a great gift. And even though there's pain in it, and there's great pain in that. There's great, great pain in that. The gift is that you come to understand yourself. You understand why it is that you're here, why you've chosen the things that you've chosen, 
how it all comes together and how it is that it makes you you this most magnificent being <laughs> it all comes together and so this it was a it was a time of really great pain uh, but of huge huge growth yeah yes always always there is huge growth in the uh, dramas that we experience in this dimension whether we see the growth or only see the pain is a choice mm. and sometimes sometimes it takes enough pain to just go I can't do this anymore I've got to look at this differently I'm going to stop right. playing victim to my pain and find a different way find a better way which I've had I had that conversation with someone the other day but I can't remember it, who it was escapes me I asked that question like why did you change and they said, I had enough. But I, I remember someone I put in my book whose daughter was killed in the Bali bombings and he, he made a decision to wake up every day and think positive thoughts instead of negative thoughts. And I said, what made you make that decision? He said, years of grief and feeling victimised and feeling, you know, like, and there was nothing I could do about it because she was dead, she was gone, and I just kept repeating the, the horror story. I had enough. I couldn't cope anymore. Couldn't cope anymore, you know, so that you reach a stage where you have enough. And that was what it was for me. There was a real pursuit of happiness in all of that. I didn't want to feel the way that I felt anymore. Mm. It was torturous. It felt so bad to wake up every day and feel the way that I felt and I just couldn't do it anymore. Right. And this was the propulsion. I just had to feel differently. Yeah. And I knew I could. There was an inner knowing that things could be really different. And I would look at other people and I would think, wow, you have nice lives and you're happy and you're smiling and you don't feel the way that I feel. Right, yeah. You know, there's got to be a way. There's got to be a different way and a better way to be here in this earth, yeah. in this lifetime. And I want it. I want to do that. I want to experience that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. Yeah. I remember having backpacking around Europe with my friends. How old was I? Like 18, 19, 19. And they were all happy and I was suffering with my negative thoughts. And I thought that leaving the country and seeing, you know, Europe and Switzerland and France and you know, all those fabulous places would make me feel good. There I was, you know, looking at, in Switzerland, I was backpacking and I had sort of started um, staying back and they were all frustrated with me because I wasn't happy all the time. And, I, and then the question is like, why aren't I happy? Why? Why? You know, here I am looking at the most amazing mountains in Switzerland and I'm still feeling like crap. Yeah. So there comes a time where you ask those questions. All right. The healing journey. Let's talk about the healing journey. What did you do first? It's a big what did journey, I do right? first? Oh, this has been a huge, huge journey of healing. I can remember not long after my mum passed, uh, talking to whoever it was at that stage. I didn't understand who it was back then. I knew that we all had a team. I knew that we had spiritual guides. I didn't know who it was in particular that I was talking to, but I just put out a call. And I remember saying to them, somebody help me, just somebody help me, please, I want you to help me, send me to your best of the best to help me. And within a very short period of time, a lady appeared, <laughs> bless her, and she mentored me probably for three or four years. And that was when the healing really began. And uh, she had a very high standard of ethics, of uh, energetic ethics. Um, she was very honest. She was just a really good person who sort of took me under her wing, I suppose, um, and taught me a great foundation um, around um, the mechanics of energy, if you will, and, and how to cleanse my energy, how to cleanse the energy of a room, for instance. Um, she was a Reiki master, and so I did Reiki with her. Um, and this really began uh, <laughs> to quench my absolute thirst now that I had 
in uh, understanding more and more and more about the world that we live in and what's beyond the physical of what we see um, and the real power in what it is that's in the subtle realms. Um, and so I did that um, for probably, I don't know, around three or four years. And then I would just read anything and everything that I could get my hands on. Um, there was an insatiable desire to learn more um, until it got to a point where everything was coming in and everything was changing at once. And then I started to, it was just too much. And I remember saying to them, just stop, stop for a little while. <laughs> it's just too much for me. And they did. And around that time, I was, I was opening up to my mediumship abilities. Um, and I started going to a spiritualist church, which is not a church really anyway. Uh, but that was a great deal of my development. And I sat in circle for a really long time. Um, anywhere up to around, I think around eight years on and off, I would go to circle. I did my trans mediumship training there um, and advanced mediumship training there. Um, and that was, it's re it really provided a great foundation for self-healing. Of course, we're in that, um, that stage of thinking that everybody else is going to save us and that everybody else is going to heal us and that everybody else is much more powerful than us and much more knowing and much more capable but the truth really is that we have everything that we need at any given time and that we are the ones that we've been waiting for. Nobody's, nobody's coming to save us. We are going to save us. We're the powerful ones. We're the all-being, all-knowing powerful ones. Um, and so I, I embarked upon really um, a journey of healing myself. Yeah. And when did you start like tuning into the kids and working with children? I started, well, my first job working with children was as a nanny when I was 17. Yeah. Um, some years later I worked uh, when my babies were little, well, not all of them, but I think the eldest one was nine, the littlest one was one. I worked, I had my own small daycare uh, childcare centre and I did that for six years. <laughs> and it was around that time that I started to get like little nudges that maybe, you know, maybe there's some real gold in putting the two together, but I hadn't quite made the association. So when I speak of the two, I mean the, the spiritual side and working with children, but I hadn't quite put, uh, put it all together. And so I, I ended up finishing. I, I became quite unwell um, and I had to have some time off work. And when it, it came time for me to go back to work, I started working for a government department. I was working for New South Wales Health. <laughs> I can remember sitting there one day and I hated this job. I can't tell you how much I hated this job. If I went to this job, I felt like my soul was dying. Like, oh, I hated this job. But I went because, you know, it paid the bills and it was steady and I had a contract and, you know, all of those things that we think in, in 3D in, in, you know, the linear world is going to keep us safe and keep us fed. And I can remember sitting there one day and pleading with my team and going, there's got to be something better. Can you tell me what I'm going to do? What am I here to do? <laughs> that big question that we all want to know, why am I here? <laughs> and I remember sitting there and we used to, we, so I worked um, in database management and we used to have to audit each other to see, make sure that, you know, we weren't making too many errors and that the information that went into the database was correct because it was really important information. And I can remember sitting there one day and here I am pleading with them while I'm doing my work at the keyboard, you know, and I'm pleading with them, help me, help me, tell me why I'm here, why am I here, what's my big reason? And then all of a sudden I felt this massive torrent of, of um, energy just cascading and it was coming down, it was coming down, it was entering all through my body. It was like I was having these big jolts. 
and it all came together that I was going to work with children, that I was going to teach them about their power, that I was going to help them with emotion, that I was, you know, going to do all this work with them. <laughs> Needless to say, in that time that I was doing all this and all this confirmation was the, coming in, um, I had 10 mistakes that day and I got my first written warning that day <laughs> for not being able to concentrate because I had all this information rushing in, rushing in, rushing in. And so that's when it really began. I think that was around... I don't know, maybe 2011, 2012, that I got the heads up um, that I would be working with children in this capacity. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I think, I don't, as you know, I can't, this can't be enough of it. Uh, mm. We need new school systems. We need new school systems. And the uh, current world circumstances is actually creating that because lots and lots of teachers have quit the old paradigm system and they're talking about creating their own schools, new schools, because they don't want to work under the, you know, paradigm of the old ways and what, you know, what's being asked of them and they want to be freer and like you. So, yeah, I can see that happening. Like what's happening on planet Earth is pushing people towards that, which is, which is a blessing, which is a part of the blessing of what we're going through. So many blessings, what we're going through. Uh, yeah, go on. And this is why um, I've been um, nudged to create Dharma, Divine Awakenings Academy of the Mystic Arts, because it's not only for um, adults, it's also for the children that are coming through who are going to be moving into bringing, or not moving into, because they're bringing their gifts, mm. their abilities. I don't like the word gift because it feels as though it's something that comes from outside to within. This is already all inside. Everything that we need, we already have. We're already born with it. It's not a gift. It's an absolute ability. Um, and so uh, there's children that are coming through that are going to, going to be bringing their abilities to the forefront that need a place to go to be able to work with these abilities. And that's what Dharma is really about, is bringing those children in, um, having them having somewhere for these children to go to learn, you know, the basic things, not the basic things, but things like maths and English and all of those things, but also learn about galactic history, um, to learn about telepathy and levitation and, you know, working with portals and teleportation, um, shape-shifting, all of these things, working, you know, learning about dark energy, learning about light energy, learning about all of it that encompasses our world that we live in, not just the physical things that we can see. And so the next step for, for that is to actually um, making, making Dharma rather than an online presence, making it a physical presence. Yep, can't wait. I mean, this is one of the first discussions that you and I had and yeah. I was so excited and I'm like, when's this happening? When's this happening? Yeah. Like, I don't know, soon. soon. <laughs> We're working on it. We're working on it. <laughs> when did you meet your galactic team? I have very early memories, probably around four, of packing my bag because I wasn't staying in my house anymore. This was not the place for me. They'd put me in the wrong house. This was my thinking when I was four um, and I was with the wrong family. Uh, and <laughs> I remember packing my bag. I had a bionic woman little hard case and I packed my bag and I would do this constantly. I would do this all the time. My mum would have to come looking for me to see where I was. And I would pack my bag with all my dolls and my doll's clothes because that's all you need when you're four. And I would walk out the front door and I would, we lived in an apartment uh, and, of course, there were lifts because it was a high-rise apartment. And I remember standing there and looking up and saying to them, come and get me now. You've got to come and get me because I'm in the wrong place. You've put me in the wrong place and I'm coming home because this is not my home. Come and get me. And I remember the elevator would open up 
as though they were coming to get me, but I was always too scared to actually step into the elevator. And the elevator for me always reminded me of, I had a very, very vivid memory of a shoot of light or a tunnel of light. Um, and of course, I never, I never got in the elevator. My mum would come out looking for me all the time. Come on, come inside. And then, you know, half an hour later, I'd pack my bags again and off I'd be gone again. Um, and this happened for years. It happened for a long time. So I knew that there was a very real knowing that I wasn't of this world, if you will, um, and that uh, this wasn't my initial home uh, and that I needed to go home. And I realised that I actually lived probably uh, most of my adult life that way, feeling as though this is not where I am. And the, the energetic, I suppose, um, what's the word that I want? What would happen energetically is that my my soul would sort of live outside of my body. So there was very, I didn't have a great connection with the physical. I didn't have a great connection with my physical body um, and or a great understanding of physical life on earth. Um, and so there were, there were lots of um, attempts, even though I didn't realise it at the time, there were a great deal of attempts to exit, to leave whether it be because I, I through all the trauma I, I had some drug and alcohol abuse and whether it be through overdosing or deliberate attempts at leaving, um, there was a very real knowing that this was not my home and that I didn't want to be here. I think that that's a common experience for many people, be a starseed or, or, you know, whether you identify as a starseed or not, because this is not, uh, it's nobody's home. Mm. None of, Earth isn't, isn't, you know, home is, home is spirit. Home is, you know, oneness. And this place is the experience of not that, the experience of forgetting our connection to so much of our oneness and our abilities and, and love and all that sort of thing. So many people can feel like that. And the ones that don't have just acclimated to this energy and frequency and are doing their best working with it and enjoying it. But there comes a time where instead of pushing against the system that's in place here, we have to love the system, understand that we're not from here, uh, that this is just an experience we're having, but we can bring that energy of home into this experience, whether that home is another planet <laughs> or a spirit, yeah, or a spaceship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, it, I think in my adult years it really started to, about probably 15 years ago I started to channel um, a group of beings called the Council of Elders. And at the time, I had no idea who they were. And because I was still in my very little ego mind and not accepting or understanding exactly how big and powerful and omniscient we all are, I would doubt that the information that came through. And so I would go looking everywhere on Google and, you know, all over the net looking for confirmation about the Council of Elders. The information that came through was very pure. It was very um, clear uh, and I would still doubt it until, until really only a couple of months ago when I was listening to something and someone talked to, uh, spoke about the Council of Elders and I was like, oh, oh, that's who they are. And they were talking about them being one of the highest councils uh, of the Arcturians um, that you can connect with. And so, you know, as we go along our journey, bits and pieces um, come together. But probably about four years ago, I started to do some work with some other women one in particular, and we were channeling Arcturian energy. And this is when I suppose my one of my biggest awakenings around who I am, why I'm here, uh, where I came from, you know, my connection with um, ETs and all of that um, really started to 
be refined and, and more greatly understood. So around four years ago. Yeah, four or five years ago. And when did the dragons introduce themselves to you? When did you <laughs> when did you feel like like and how did they introduce themselves to me? How did you know that yeah. you were channeling dragon energy? At first it scared the bejesus out of me because I I well if we go right back, whenever I went into meditation, I was very aware of a very bold, powerful, strong, but loving and supportive energy that was constantly with me. And for me, it felt very feminine um, because one of my dragons is, is uh, feminine, the one that uh, moves with me through each incarnation. Um, and I would see the colour indigo all the time. Um, and it wasn't just, you know, when you, you can you can start meditating, you can start opening up to colour and light coming in. It was more than that because it had this very, very particular energy attached to it. And I would sit in meditation and I would think, oh, isn't that nice? Oh, there's a nice energy. I wonder what that is. And then around that same time that I started um, doing some more intense channeling and training with the Arcturians, and I hope we can talk about that too because that's really interesting, um, I felt this really big, powerful energy come in. And it scared me because I didn't quite understand the power. I was scared of the power and I likened it to dark energy. And so I pushed it away instantly. I pushed it away. I was like, no, I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> Completely closed myself down to it. But it kept nudging and nudging and nudging. And then uh, one day I was sitting here and I could hear somebody talking to me and it was just this most velvety, deep, rich voice. And there was like... There was lots of breath involved in it. It's very hard to describe. And I remember looking at my little puppy and her name is Indy, Indigo. And I looked at her and I could see her starting to change. I could see her starting to transpose into a dragon. And when I looked at her feet, I could see her paws changing into claws, beautiful, big claws. And then I saw her grow into this massive, big, beautiful dragon. Um, and that was really when, uh, so that was probably about two and a half years ago uh, when she really started to make herself known. And it was at a time that I was ready to accept this energy um, and the power of this energy. And so that's when we started working together consciously. <laughs> so what do you, uh, what is dragon energy to you and why do, why do people want to tune into it and how does it help us and who are mm. the dragons and where do they come from? A million questions I know but yeah more dragons dragons are a really uh, bold powerful beautifully supportive energy that have been introduced in, in increments I feel that there was a portal opened in around 2012 and again another one in around 2015-2016 where uh, the earth has been flooded with dragon energy and dragons help us to step into our own power they help us to ground our own magic into the 3D reality and to bring it forth in our lives. So dragon energy has lots of uh, uses, I suppose. You can work with, if you think about the four elements, um, you've got earth, air, fire and water. So earth dragons can really help you to uh, clear obstacles. They work with clearing ley lines um, and to, you know, really clearing um, energy in your life that sits at the physical level. So if you've got energy with relationships or jobs or um, it could be moving house or anything like anything that's related to the physical um, realm, uh, earth, earth dragons will help you to clear that out. 
if we work with the air dragons, air dragons give us the higher perspective. Uh, they allow us to have clear communication um, and to be able to bring our truth that the dragon energy in general that we're mm, grounding, uh, it helps to express it at a higher level. Uh, fire dragons help to clear out the lower dimensions, clear out the lower energies that we may not have been able to work with before or clear out before. And so they are great in trauma work. And I use this a lot with um, any of the energetic tra trauma healing that I'm doing. Um, and then what do we have? Water. Water dragons are really great with um, helping us to move around obstacles, to be in flow, to help us with emotion, to help us with moving emotion up to the throat centre and, and the air dragons then help us with uh, expressing that emotion. Um, what else do water dragons do? Moving swiftly, um, moving with ease, connecting with ease and grace, being graceful. Um, all of these beautiful things. So these are the four elements and the way that the dragons can help with that. Um, but they're really here to help us know our magic. It's not about their dragons coming in to save us. Dragons are of the angelic realm um, and they work side by side with angels, but they do different work um, than the angels do. Uh, and, but there's a very, very angelic feeling and, and uh, energy with the dragons but they're coming through because they're such great shapeshifters. They're teaching us how to be able to work with change. And because they're great at uh, moving between the dimensions, they're coming in at this time to be able to help us to ascend from 3D to 5D. Beautiful, perfect. And there's so many dragons depicted in much of the um, you know, movies online, fantasy, mm. sci-fi movies online. Mind you, they're depicted as pretty fierce, like weapons of destruction. Mm. Uh, yeah, but I guess they're they're destroying like the old ways, the old paradigms. You know? Well, they are, but there was also sort of a bit of an overtake that occurred way back when, uh, when dragons, the dragons were initially in the physical. So we could look at our, outside and see dragons flying around. I think around the, and please, I might get this a little bit wrong, but oh no, they tell me the seventh. So around the seventh century, when dragons were actually in the physical, they were a great threat because dragon brings clarity. Dragons cut through all the dross. And what you end up with is clarity. You have very clear seeing about what's happening, what's really happening. You're not easily misled. And instead you have focus clear, like laser focus clear, um sight and understanding around what's really happening and so uh, if this was a little bit of a threat to christianity when the catholic church was trying to get a foothold many 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 years ago around the seventh century and um dragons were demonized because that was such a threat um saint george we know saint george the dragon slayer my understanding is that there was an actual duel if you will between um, someone called George of Cappadocia. Cappadocia is in Turkey. Uh, and that he did slay a dragon because uh, the dragon was looking after the land and there were some, uh, there was some real greed that was trying to take hold there. Uh, and George of Cappadocia killed the dragon. Um, the Catholic Church or the Christianity claimed um, that uh, as their own, and this is how St George was actually um, named as St George the Dragon Slayer. And so it couldn't be, it wasn't great for the Catholic Church or, or um, Christianity to have dragons around at that time, and so they were demonised. 
And that's been carried all the way through. Yeah, much like the feminine principle was demonised and psychic ability and intuition and all that was demonised by the church. God bless the church. All right. So where should we go next? Arcturians. What, yes. are the, what are the Arcturians teaching you, darling? <laughs> <laughs> Around this time, and this was the first real, really, really personal experiences that I'd been having, was uh, I would go with somebody who was in a different state and we would call each other on the phone and uh, we would go into meditation. And we'd be taken to the same place. So I would sit there and describe where I was and she would describe where she was. And in real time, she would do something like wave to me or raise her left foot. And I would say, I can see you waving at me. And she's like, I know I'm waving at you. So we were really in real time able to connect telepathically um, and to be able to interact in real time, um, even though we weren't physically in the same space. And so we would be taken by uh, the Arcturians onto the mothership and uh, they would show us around and we would spend time with them while we were receiving DNA upgrades and having our light bodies um, put back together, if you will, <laughs> um, and sort of, you know, made all sparkly. I'd been quite unwell well with a lot of uh, health issues and, so, and I'd had uh, recently a bowel operation and I'd had a great part of my bowel removed and they were very, very, very interested at the insides of my workings, you know, like what it looked like. And so I spent a lot of time in a healing chamber um uh where they would keep me sort of suspended but all the while they were you know i could see lots and lots of them around me looking inside me and you know going back and telling this person being and then coming back and looking again and there was a great deal of interest in what had happened um but what i realized and came to understand is that during this time in these healing chambers um i was being healed Um, from a lot of uh, sickness, physical sickness that I'd had um, that had resulted from holding on to these limiting thoughts um, and this dense energy from my past. Um, But we would go, uh, we did this for months and it's quite interestingly, it was quite funny because we started to understand that we didn't need to eat. We didn't uh, really sleep very much. We probably operated, both of us, it happened at the same time, we probably operated on about three to four hours sleep each night and we would get up the next day and just be filled with energy. It was like we didn't have the, we transcended the need to have that human experience of eating and sleeping. Um, And we would go to Arcturian school (laughs) where we would sit in a classroom, classroom I say, but it was a, it was a container of some description that really didn't have any hard edges. It was like a hologram. And we would go and we would sit in this space and we would have this head teacher come and teach us things about energy and how it works. Uh, we had a certain way of greeting each other um, each time with the Arcturians. And there was a time that I was, while we were on the phone to each other, physically um, channeling the leader or the head of the Arcturian, this mothership that I was on, um, of the Arcturian clan, star clan. Um, And it was a really, really intense, very, very high vibrating frequency that was increasingly difficult for me to sustain because it's just too, too high for us in our physical dense bodies. Um, But that I would bring through private information for her uh, and for myself and then uh, they would give us information that we would then go on to share in our groups. 
this information really sort of centered around how it was that we could raise our vibration to be more um, in energetic alignment with uh, the crystalline energies that were coming in about how it is that we could prepare ourselves for the crystalline body to be integrated um, and about uh, how we could really live just a happier and a more high vibrational life on earth. Sounds good, honey one. Sounds good. <laughs> it was good fun. It was a really good, like it was a fun time. It was a really fun thing to do. Why did you stop doing it? Uh, we were, we were um, forming, again, a school or, or a place, a, a, an intentional community, and a lot of ego got involved. Mm. Unfortunately, there was a lot of control and I broke away from it. I just couldn't, wasn't for me. Yeah, this happens on planet Earth. I mean, yeah. everybody have, has these great intentions. There's a great saying say, that says to road to hell is filled with all good intentions. Mm. So we have these intentions and desires and then we um, place our focus on the limitlessness of us, you know, as you say, ego gets in the way. Ego is the part of us that experiences separation, separate separate to the wholeness, separate to the love, separate to the light. Yeah, ego can get in the way. So um, mm. I've seen that happen in so many intentional communities and businesses. But that, I see this changing. I see people coming together and collaborating more. I've seen that more in the last couple of years than I've ever seen it in 30 years of doing this stuff. And it's, it's like about time, guys. Yeah. It's like about time. And collaborating without a need for reward or success or you need to promote me and make me famous or whatever just pure collaboration like I'll help you you help me let's do this together yeah without the money drama getting in the way to yeah and there was a lot of jealousy because I was the seer and I was very connected with or oh, they labeled me as the seer and I was very connected with um ET energy there was a lot of jealousy that got in the way um, and unfortunately, yeah, that was that was the downfall. And because of my reaction to it, they didn't want me any there anymore, and I didn't want to be there anymore. So it was very much a mutual thing, and we went our separate ways. The work, though, the work that was done in that time was exceptional. Being in close contact with ETs of that description, and being able to download information at that level was just amazing. It still happens now. It was just great to do it with someone and know, you know, learning all the time with someone. Yeah. Yeah, have that something to bounce off. So when you say close contact, was your physical body up on the ships or did they take your astral form? They took our astral form. So I was right. laying on my lounge and she was out in her backyard or something, but our astral bodies were definitely there and interacting with each other. <laughs> yeah, up, and, and up on the ships. In, in up on the ships, and yes. Rooms. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I would see them as these really tall, and I don't know if, if anybody else has ever seen them in this way, but... I would see them as very tall, skinny, and I had an experience the other day that I saw, and I saw them in the same way. Very tall, very slim uh, beings, two arms, two legs, three fingers, and quite big heads with their beautiful almond-shaped eyes, but there's feeling and there's emotion and there's almost like there's energy, um, universes in their eyes. When I look at them, it's like the, the background that I'm seeing against at the moment. It's like all of this beautiful universal energy in their eyes. And there's a glowing... There's a glowing heart center um, and our greeting is to put our third eyes together and one arm around each other and then our hearts together. 
and our hearts come together and that's the greeting and there's an energy in exchange and there's a, uh, a upgrade and um, almost like information download mm. um, that takes place in that time. And what they're really telling us, they're showing us is the great love and how it can really be. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, look, the Arcturians are as diverse as the cosmos, really. I was going to say humanity, but they're actually more diverse than humanity. Uh, and, we and we have to remember not to get too stuck on the Arcturians being specifically like you've described, because other people will describe them differently. A lot of people who interact with the Arcturians interact with this, the light energy orbs and no physically appearing structure. And some talk about physically appearing structures like you. And then humans say, but who's right and who's wrong? Mm. And everyone gets to be right because there's the diversity. You know, the Arcturians are just so vast, 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 and many levels of consciousness within what we call the Arcturians. They probably don't call themselves the Arcturians. They probably call themselves something completely different. Yeah. They, did they give you a name or did they say Arcturians? No, this is, this is my understanding of who they are. Yeah, yeah. Oh, beautiful. So do you want to talk about the light codes? Like where are the light codes coming from? Are they coming from them? Are they coming from other places? Uh, do you identify with other places in the cosmos that your soul has ventured into? Yeah, I, I sort of, you know, we all have that that undying question, where, where do I come from? <laughs> and so in my um, conversations with my team, with my star clan, um, I I feel pr probably more of an affinity with Vega um, and the Blue Avians. Um, and so, and I do have a lot of uh, bird beings that are my um, guides, I suppose. One of my first guides, actually, uh, who uh, came through to me very, very strongly um, is half man, half bird, and his name's Blue Eagle, or what I've called him, Blue Eagle. Um, and he's been with me for a very long time. And I hear him as clearly as I hear you. But I realise now that he's the Navian. Um, and so, yeah, I suppose Vega is probably uh, the strongest feeling. But when I speak to my team and I ask them, they've told me that I'm an intergalactic traveller, that I travel from planet to galaxies and all around and I take the information with me where it's needed um, and in order to be able to learn what it is that I need to learn from that planet and that time and that experience and then take it back to the star clan. Did they tell you how many lives you've lived on Earth? I just heard 137. Yes, a few. Yeah, there's been a few. And I can remember them. You know, I've had past lives as a hitman. I've had a past life as um, someone who has been placed on this, you know, as a sacrificial lamb with um, sort of a demon sort of energy and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. I've had a past life as a priest. Mm. I've had a past life as someone who was married to someone who was in the church. I've had a past life with, uh, as a man, you know, different men here, there and everywhere, um, a, 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 a boy of a prostitute, an Irish prostitute. Uh, within the church, like oh, so many different ones that, that have come come back to me and I've been able to work with them through. A vast experience. So with so much variety in different lives, why did you choose to come into such a dense experience with your family and all the density? Did, did, did you understand that 
I didn't understand it while it was happening at the time. And so, of course, we, I fell completely and wholeheartedly into victim mentality. And I ran with that for a really, really, really long time until it didn't serve me anymore. And I started to realise that I just, you know, this, I can't keep, I can't heal this and be in victim as well. Um, and at the same time as having the healing and different things that was coming through, that were coming through from my star clan and my team, um, I realised that the greatest opportunity for us to learn exactly who we are, how powerful we are, is to come into dense vibration. It's to come into that vibration of struggle. It's to come into that experience of being disempowered so that we actually fight our way back to the empowerment so that we can find our goal, so that we can find our power. Um, and so, you know, school, the hardest school, the most difficult learning and schooling we'll ever have is on earth. There is no other place in the whole of the galaxy, in the whole of the cosmos that is like earth that presents us with the opportunity for experience and learning the way that earth does. And it's through that pain because there's so much pain and there's so much trauma, but there's so much gold and opportunity in that pain and trauma that if we allow ourselves to feel the pain, then we understand where the gold lies. And that's in understanding exactly who we are, coming back to understanding that we are all one, that we're all connected and that we're all having this experience at the same time it's also to clear, I'm hearing, they're telling me as we're talking, to clear dense vibration. If I'm clearing it for me, I'm clearing it for the collective. Um, and there are many of us that have come through in order to do this. Some of us have got caught in the density. Some of us have got caught in the dross and the pain and the trauma and haven't made it out the other end. But, you know, hopefully they still will. Um, but for those who have made it out the other end, as we're clearing it, we're clearing it for the collective. And so one of the reasons that I've chosen to come through at this time and it's a choice. It's an absolute choice. I wanted to be here to experience this is so that I can clear it for myself and clear it for the collective. Perfect, darling one. Perfect. Oh, beautiful. There's lots more to your story. Yeah, there is. On. Have we got a quick second to talk about the light codes? Yeah. Because light codes I feel are really important and there's lots of um, light codes being released at the moment. Um if we go out and sit in the sun, we have a beautiful opportunity to receive high vibe healing, um, high frequency light codes. They're really powerful tools to assist us with evolving or healing in ascension um, that we may otherwise not have had access to. Um, they're a combination of multi-dimensional sort of light, sound, vibration and information that all come together and are physically laid in dots and dashes and lines and and um sacred geometry in a way that allows information to be or light uh, frequency to be delivered to us um, in a way that we may not otherwise be able to receive it um, or have access to it it really holds an um an ancient and very wise there's a lot of um ancient wisdom um in light codes and they're of an energetic frequency that's so great that it's beyond our physical understanding of what it really is. And of course, light language is the same. And by doing this, by delivering this, this healing, these um, frequencies in this way, it's really providing us with a gift. And the gift is of learning how we can connect through the heart and not through our minds. So we're connecting with our heart center instead of our ego center. And this is really 
how light codes help us to uh, move into the fifth dimension because this is part of moving into the fifth dimension is separating from ego and coming into the heart center. Beautiful. And before we go, do you want to give us a little uh, message in light language and um, oh. a little channeling, a light language channeling? Sure. Every morning I, I do um, my morning practices and part of my morning practice is to call in my dragons. I call in my star team, I cleanse my energy, I ground my energy um, and I speak light, light language. And, of course, light language is the sound equivalent of what the physical equivalent is of for um, light codes. And so light language is just carrying a certain vibration through sound. And if we allow it to be breathed in through the heart, if we allow it to just wash over our energetic centres, our subtle bodies, instead of really sort of trying to understand it with our physical minds, then it moves our thinking mind out of the way and light language is able to access energetically us in a way that uh, it may not be able to ordinarily. Uh, and so my, my team is very excited about this, actually. I can see them all. They're very excited. So this is definitely for someone who's listening also to be able to clear that energy. And so I invite you now to just sit back gently Close your eyes over uh, if it feels safe to do so and you feel comfortable to do so. And just to take some deep grounding breaths. And as I'm speaking, to allow the energy to just wash over you and be breathed, breathed in through the heart. Mer o shinte shundar ingum par umbai shunderai. De shun ni shundari aingur eo aikansto. Me kurinch takeroyakata. Me shundekeri umberi aishunduka dinchindeket. Mere shundugo e o shind ekar o kar eishundeker. Me ushandai kandare kundumbur ayoshundak. Te kushindir u eaushundur umbar oi. Te ushundar e kundumbar umbaishundeshundak. Mir ushundar purchundar stick. Te ushundae akende oreaya. Just beautiful, just gorgeous. Loved it. Just beautiful. Loved hearing your story, darling one. It's just Thank you. fascinating. And I can't wait for Dharma to be a physical place and kids to be levitating all over the place and telepathy taught. And just like they teach in those schools where you blindfold, you know, they've been doing it predominantly with children and, and they're seeing through their third eye and all this stuff to be a part of our world in a very big way and a more mainstream way you know and i might just mention the work with mini meditation really is the lead up to dharma because we're trying to reach children of mainstream who may feel as though they're not quite part of the family that they're in uh, that felt a great deal like me and working with emotion because our emotional clearing is key to staying um closer to 
the truth of who we are. And so we have to start working with emotion with our children. So mini meditation is running at the moment, uh, not working with emotion, but um, clearing emotion, allowing emotion to be okay, you know, having acceptance around emotion. Um, our emotional wounding uh, is some of the ways that. Um, so let me ask you, what do you think you need in order to get this up, up and running in a bigger way? Do you need some partnerships? Do you need parents to send their kids to you? I mean, obviously this is a global audience. So can you do it online? So mini meditation at the moment I'm doing online. I'm I'm running a four-week program at the moment for mini meditation um, called Carefree Kids. And then that leads into Carefree Kids Club which is where someone, the children can come weekly um, and we do different things around energy, clearing emotion, all sorts of things around energy and learning about that. As far as Dharma is concerned, which is the more um, structured, I suppose, way of teaching um, energetic um, esoterics and metaphysics and all of those sorts of things combined with English maths and galactic history and all of those things, um, I'm really looking for um, supporters physical supporters in that way um, and people who are ready to donate to actually f- set up the physical the physical school, which looks like acreage, buying land um, and having self-sustained food forests, um, having places of, you know, of gatherings um, and having people really come together in community, living in, in intentional communities. Um, but I'm really looking for physical supporters in that way at the moment. Perfect. So money, 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 and and people bringing their children so that they can learn for themselves also how it is that they can support these new golden age children that are coming through. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, well, I know a lot of them that are now adults and they didn't have that support, mm. and they and they grew up as kids that were just felt like they couldn't do school, they couldn't do three D school, and uh, one of my girlfriends has this incredible like he's twenty now. And he's working as a, you know, builder in the building industry to earn money. And he's just amazing. He's amazing. Same with my nephew, who's 20 now. He's an artist doing his artwork. He's got the support, financial support of his parents. But, yeah, they didn't have a place to go to really expand who they are and remember right. who they are. Yeah. That's it. And that's what I'm so passionate about this because mm. I didn't have it either. Mm. And yeah, we need it. We really need it now. Earth needs it. Yeah, because there's, there's so many more of them coming in. Yeah. Yeah, and the ones that are, and the ones flux. and the ones that are now adults can come and you know be with the kids too and share with the children and absolutely yeah. they're the teachers that I want they're the people yeah. that I want to come and speak and share their experiences with these children yeah, exactly yep you know these are the people that I want in the intentional communities people yeah. that can build we need a builder we need a baker we need a doctor we need vet we need you know all of these beautiful people that have these skills and their extra dimensional multi dimensional selves that they can bring. Bring to the party. Bring to the party and share their wisdom. Yes. It'll happen, honey one. It'll happen. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I have such a great time. (laughs) What did you think of the wonderful conversation with Rachel? Some amazing stories. We didn't get through half of it. I tell you what, I've heard some of Rachel's stories and actually heard some new ones today that I hadn't heard before, which I'm like, oh, wow, I haven't heard that story before. But, yeah, she's she's got a wealth wealth to share with the world and uh, an amazing star seed here to bring through uh, higher consciousness and um, as we evolve and ascend into a new way of living on planet earth beautiful 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 and the dragon energy have you connected with your dragon (laughs) does your dragon help you 
what did she say about the dragons that sort of fierce feel more powerful yeah more empowered dragon energy is empowering energy mm. anyway yeah all good beautiful thanks again for listening and watching and tuning in and, and please remember to share the shows and uh tell me what you think and let me know what you would like to know this year in the courses that I'm putting on, the online courses that I'm putting on, doing the Meet Your Spirit Guides as the first one because so many people reach out and say, I want to meet my spirit guides. And I think that it's vitally important for all of us to know that we have inner guidance within us and how to listen to that and to be more aware of that and to, be, and to listen to it. Because I was, oh, I don't know if I was aware of it, but I could hear it when I was young. I just didn't listen to it because I didn't really know what it was. I just thought it was like common sense. It sounded like a good idea, but nah, that's not what my ego wanted to do. My ego wanted to do this and that and that. And so I would get the guidance, but I didn't listen. <laughs> and I think that happens to all of us. What happens to all of us? I remember seeing a cartoon once and someone had a little angel on one shoulder and a little devil on the other. And these two were sort of fighting against each other. And I felt like that was what was going on in my head. There was like the little angel giving me good advice and the little devil going, nah, this, do this, this would be more fun. <laughs> but even if you do listen to the ego or the devil inside you or whatever you want to call it, and you do take action from that place of uh, selfishness or that place of feeling like, you know, that place of lack and feeling like you need to get something in order to feel better, you still have experience which teaches you about who you are and what's possible in this world. But it's just a lot easier to listen to your guidance. So if you do listen to your guidance and, and have that connection with that inner wisdom or those inner thoughts that guide you, it just does make life a lot easier. And, uh, yeah, I find it vitally important when I started listening to my mob. Still, there are still sometimes when I don't listen to them, they suggest things and I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> We're human, right? Free will. And then deliberate creation 101, the principles of deliberate creation, how we create our reality. It's not like you're going to learn to create your reality. You're already creating your reality. Everything you're living, you are the master creator of it. You are the director, producer, and starring actor in the play that you've written, right? So how are you doing that? That's what we teach in deliberate creation 101 and how to navigate this world with your emotional guidance system because we all have feelings and um, emotions and they are guiding us all the time all the time all negative sensation pain emotion is guidance and can we listen to it instead of trying to eradicate it or push back or you know take antidepressants or alcohol to try and not feel bad it's all guidance how do you work with your emotional guidance system and uh what else are we doing advancing your psychic abilities, channeling, talking to other dimensional beings that could be spirit, that could be dead relatives, that could be ETs, you know, connecting to different frequencies through thought and focus. And uh, what else? Deliberate creation, advanced deliberate creation. There's a lot to that to teach. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot coming up. Overcoming negative programmings, DNA repatterning, overcoming the habitual patterns of thought that we've picked up along our physical trail that's vitally important it's all vitally important um, i would teach it all in one course which i have been doing on a weekly basis in the inner sanctum but this year i'm separating them out into different focuses different courses 
So let me know what you want to learn. Let me know what you'd like to know more about who you are as a multidimensional being, spirit, having a physical life experience and what you can achieve while you're engaged in this experience and what you would like to achieve. Yeah, let me know. Love to hear from you. <laughs> and thanks again for listening and watching and sharing the show. I've already said that, haven't I? I'm repeating myself. Uh, tune into the book Awakened by Death, amazing stories there and uh, catch you next time. Love you all. Bye for now. <laughs>